Good morning, everyone. My name's Simon. Uh, I'm a, a member of the church here and recently just joined the staff team to help out during our time of pastoral vacancy. It's the first time that I've been up since our last members' meeting at which the members voted that through, that I would join the team here and also that I'll pursue my minister's training. So I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you uh, for voting that through and for your encouragement and your support. I really appreciate it. So before um, Andy comes and brings our Bible reading uh, for today, uh, I just need to introduce this somewhat. So the passage that was given to me today was uh, Luke chapter 9, the Transfiguration. And uh, we've been going through uh, a mini-series in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to bring this uh, to a close today. So we're trying to round off some of the key themes that we've uh, explored during our time looking at Luke. So um, I'm going to try to focus on the passage and bring to you a few things that I really felt God wanted to show us and highlight to us from the passage today. But also, uh, today we're going to start thinking about our church vision. What does it mean for us uh, to be church together? And what is our vision for the future? Where do we see ourselves going together? And what kind of church do we want to be under Jesus and with Jesus? Uh, Simon, if you could display the uh, document for me, please, the vision document. Back in 2018, uh, we created and forged and adopted together as a church a vision. And it was presented uh, in this format with this vision document. Hopefully some of you know this and recognize this. And it lays out a little bit of what we feel it means to be a Christian community here in Lim. What it means for us to be centered around Christ and some of the priorities that we feel God had placed on us as a church. And over the next few weeks, we are going to start touching on what it means for us to have this shared vision, and what it is for our vision to be a church that is centered around Christ, and to be a distinctly Christian community here in Lim. So today, I'm going to refer to some of the key things uh, that are a part of that vision, Next week, Chris is going to develop that a little bit further and explore some of the ways, the practical ways, in which we've actually started to put this vision into practice. And then on the 3rd of March, uh, Jane Henderson, one of the regional ministers from the Northwest Baptist Association, is going to be joining us to help us and lead us in a, an activity to help us to start thinking about our vision for church. What kind of church do we see ourselves to be now? And what kind of church do we want to become in the future. And so there's going to be a series starting today of around three services on which we're going to be focusing around the vision of the church. So today I'm hopefully going to tie some of those threads together, bringing to a close our series in Luke and then starting to throw us forwards when we're thinking about the vision of the church. Thank you, Simon. You can uh, take that off now. Uh, the church office are going to send that document out to you this week. Can I encourage us to read it and reflect on it to help us to engage in this process together? Now, one of the quotes from this vision document that I really want to focus in on today is this. We exist as Lim Baptist Church to be a distinctly Christian community at the heart of Lim. And as a church, we are to be a Christ-centered community rooted in the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, faithful in daily prayer, 
committed to everyday discipleship, and an agent for community. That is the heart of our vision together. Isn't that exciting? Do you want to be a part of a community like that? I certainly do. To be a distinctly Christian community at the heart of Lim. So before Andy comes and uh, reads to us our passage from Luke, let's pray together. Our Father God, we love you so much. And we praise you for all of your glory and majesty. God, I've really felt the weight of this passage this week. Lord, it has drawn me to my knees in prayer and worship and in repentance. I pray that you would help us to come before your word and before you now with humility, with openness, with a desperation to hear from you and to grow as your children. So I pray, Father, that you would have your will and your way here today. Amen. So Andy, do you want to come and read our passage to us? Uh, today's reading, Luke chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as the flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Thank you, Andy. Wow, what an incredible piece of scripture. Where do we start? Well, let's start with the glory of Jesus. Peter, James, and John are on the mountainside, and they see the glory of Jesus. That's what it's all about, isn't it? To be a distinctly Christian community at the heart of Lim, that we declare the glory of Jesus. To me, I could probably stop there, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to act out anything today either. You might be pleased to hear. (laughs) Peter, James, and John see the glory of Jesus. 
Now, the glory of God is talked about, obviously, throughout the Bible, but it's depicted in different ways. So, for example, the glory of God is used in reference to him being the creator of all things. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. We see the glory of God in his creation. And Paul picks up on this in Romans, doesn't he? Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. We see God's glory in his creation. In the Old Testament, the glory of God is very much wrapped up in his relationship with his people. And especially displayed through his rescue of Israel. And he's leading from them from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. This formation of his people. It says in Deuteronomy, Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another by testing signs and wonders, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. God displays his glory by how he relates to his people and how he rescues his people and guides them and provides for them and speaks to them and calls them to be his own. And the people having come around God's commandments and drawn together as community, they declare in Deuteronomy 5, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty. But here in this particular passage in the transfiguration, we see a glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus, God displaying his glory through Jesus. And we can interpret this in lots of different ways because it describes the transfiguration of Jesus, uh, the bright shining uh, uh, white light, the the changing of, of appearance, and this is this weight of glory. So we could suggest that it points, it's a a glimpse of Jesus post-resurrection. Some might say that it's a glimpse of Jesus as he comes back. It points to his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom and his rule and reign forever. Indeed, Jesus talks about his glory in these terms. So, for example, in Mark, he says, At that time, at my second coming, The people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and with great glory. So this transfiguration is a glimpse of the glory of Jesus in his resurrection and his coming and his establishment of his kingdom forever. But I would also suggest to you that we see the glory of Jesus in just who he is. And we see the glory of God through Jesus, through this wonderful gospel, through his life, through his death, his resurrection, and his coming return. John picks up on this theme. At the start of John, he writes, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. The coming of Jesus in itself is a representation of the glory of God. The writer of the Hebrews picks up on this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed as heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So what does it mean for us to be a distinctly Christian community at the heart of Lim? We believe in and we declare and we proclaim and we hold to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And when we say glory, we mean we hold Jesus as holding supreme beauty, supreme greatness, and supreme worth. He is all important. He is number one in our lives. He reigns and reigns forever. And we see the glory of God displayed through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection. Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians. The God of the ages blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. See, the gospel itself, Jesus coming into the world, showing us how to live and teaching us and pointing us back to God, dying on the cross that we might be forgiven of our sins, rising again in glory that we might uh, have the hope of eternity, that death would be defeated. That is the glory of the gospel of Jesus. That is the glory of God on display. And so we see the glory of God in this wonderful gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you notice in the transfiguration story that God emphasizes when he speaks to Peter, James, and John in the cloud, this is my son. This is my son. At the heart of what it means to know the glory of God It's the fact that God sent of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. This is glorious. This is the glory of the gospel that God sent of himself. That he humbled himself. That he gave of himself in love. This is the glory of the gospel. That God gave himself to bear our sin and our condemnation to satisfy his holy love and justice and mercy. The greatest demonstration of love ever known. God giving up his son for us. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. How glorious is it? 
that God gave of himself through his son out of love to save us. They saw Jesus' glory. The heart of being a distinctly Christian community here in Lim is to hold to and to believe in and declare the glory of Jesus Christ. So they're up on the mountainside. A cloud envelops them. And it describes Peter and James and John being very afraid. Or in another translation it says, terror grips them. This idea of fear runs throughout the Bible. In that Psalm 19 that I quoted earlier, it goes on to say that the fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. And just as we spoke about the people um, before uh, with Moses and receiving the Ten Commandments and seeing the glory of God, in that same passage, the Lord says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep my commands always. And then later in Deuteronomy, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So we see here in Deuteronomy that fear and love are intertwined. It describes in Luke that they were afraid. And we have to make the distinction, I think, between being scared and being fearful. Because fearful throughout the Bible is more living out in a reverent awe and wonder of God. And it actually says in Deuteronomy, well actually, sorry, it says in Exodus, sorry. Moses says, do not be afraid God has come to test you so that you would fear God. So Moses makes this distinction between being afraid and fearing God. Being afraid is, is a running away. It's going and hiding. In our reaction to the glory of God and who he is and what he's done for us, we are to live in fear of him, but we don't run away. We run to him. We don't live in, in terror of him, but we live in reverent awe and wonder of him. See, do you notice that Peter and James and John in the cloud, they see the glory of Jesus and terror grips them, but they don't run away. It leads them to a place of reverent awe and wonder. And indeed, it causes Peter, in his account of the transfiguration in one of his letters, in 1 Peter, it causes him to write this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Christ. So Peter has this transfiguration experience 
And then goes on later, living in loving, awe-filled wonder in relationship with God, goes on to write, live out your time in reverent fear. So what does it mean to be a distinctly Christian community here in Lim? We live in the fear of the Lord. We live with reverence, awe, and wonder. And indeed, you'll notice when you read that vision document again, that it quotes Acts chapter 9 on that document in which it says, the church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord. So this passage encourages us to see the glory of God, and it encourages us to live in the fear of the Lord. And then thirdly, it encourages us to listen to his voice. You know, the great thing about fear is that it humbles us. It causes us to live in humility. It deepens our relationship with God as we try to trust in him. And it shapes a life of loving and joyful obedience. It causes us to listen to the voice of God because we fear him. God says to Peter and James and John in the cloud, this is my son, listen to him. We are a distinctly Christian community because we seek to listen to God and live that out in practice, in loving and joyful obedience. Do you notice Peter's initial response to his experience? He wants to set up shelters for the three people that he can see. He wants to act. He wants to get busy. He wants to do something practically. And God descends upon them in a cloud and said, Stop. This is my son. Listen to him. We are an incredibly busy church, we have long agendas. We have longer to-do lists. We need to be careful that we are listening to the voice of God. That we find the stillness to listen. Can I encourage us to guard and protect the listening? To prioritize it. Mother Teresa said when she was interviewed about prayer, this guy said, so, Mother Teresa, what do you say when you come to God in prayer? And she says, I don't say anything. I listen. And she went on to say that God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. Because when we listen, we switch off and we tune in to God. When we listen, we trust in him, in what he says, in his word and his wisdom and his intentions for us. When we listen, we let go of our own sense of control and we surrender to him. 
when C.S. Lewis wrote the Screwtape Letters, Screwtape wrote of the kingdom of noise. Because one of the strategies that the enemy might use to distract us and cloud us from who God is and what he wants for us is noise. Can I encourage us to step out of the kingdom of noise that we might seek the kingdom of God, find stillness, and listen to him? And as we listen, listening demands obedience. And if I'm truly honest with you, when I've been trying to listen to God's voice this week, I felt him impress on my heart Jesus' command to love each other. And I really feel that God wants to say, listen to me, love each other, love each other. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how we are a distinctly Christian community at the heart of Lim. We love each other. And that is how people will know that we are his, by how we love each other. And Peter writes of this. In that same passage when he's talking about the transfiguration, he says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, Have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. And what is this love? Just as Jesus has loved us. This love is not of the world. We need to make this distinction. Because the world around us, I believe, has distorted the truth of God's love. Because the love of the world is rooted in feeling and desire and lust. It asks, what can I get from this? How am I going to be satisfied from this? But the love of God flips it on its head. The love of God is unconditional. The love of God is self-giving. It's sacrificial. It gives of oneself. The love of God looks at each other and it says, I want the best for you. It has the good of the other in mind. It wants the good and the flourishing of the other before oneself. That's how we are to love each other as a church. To put the other before ourselves. To live in relationship with each other sacrificially and unconditionally in love. When you send your emails, or when you bring your opinions, or when you make your comments, do so in love. Do so in love.
when we bring our encouragements, when we pray for one another, when we provide practical help to each other, do so in love. When you go to your members' meetings and your small groups and your leadership meetings, do so in love. When you're involved in your areas of service, whatever that might be, do it in love for each other. And if we can do that, we will be a distinctly Christian, Christ-centered community at the heart of Lim. So, we are to live for the glory of God as people who have seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We are to live in the fear of the Lord, in reverence, awe, and wonder. We are to listen to his voice. We are to put what he says into practice. And we are to love each other deeply. If the musicians want to come up, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then we'll enter into a time of responsive worship. Let's pray together. Father God Almighty, we declare that you are glorious. That you are supreme in your beauty and your majesty, your greatness and your worth. God, we give you all the glory. Jesus, we declare that you are glorious in that in you we see the glory of God. And as we put our faith in you, we have encountered the glory of God through this incredible good news of your salvation that you've won for us. Thank you. Lord, forgive us. Have mercy upon us when we have lost sight of your glory. When it's become more about us than about you. Please forgive us. Lord, forgive us when we have not walked in fear of you. Help us to walk with that reverent awe and wonder of who you are. And may that lead us to live lives of loving obedience to you. Lord, forgive us when we've not loved each other well. Please forgive us. Have mercy upon us. And please equip us with your Holy Spirit so that we can love each other as you love us. Amen.